You awake? Yeah. I just want you to know I hate you. So is my dad. Please go away. Let me sleep for the love of God! Why don't you tell me a story? How do you sleep at night? I don't want to hang out with a bunch of wannabe corporate sellouts. Rock and Roll Bedtime Stories, it exists to set straight the rumor and innuendo you've heard about your favorite artists and songs. My name is Brian. And I'm Murdoch, and welcome to Rock and Roll Bedtime Stories. Thank Brian you. is going to be telling his story tonight. Thank you for all the uh, notes you've been sending us via the email account. That's wearethestoryguys at gmail.com. You can check us out on the web at wearethestoryguys.com. We have other shows. Uh, not only do we have a show that uh, Mark and I are also on called Story Guys, it's the, uh, the name brand show. We also have... Uh, uh, other shows on the network, including a brand new show we just launched uh, with our friends Charles and Kelsey called Hypotheticals, and uh, it's a blast. So check all that stuff out at wearethestoryguys.com. And uh, today, we are going to talk about Murdoch's least favorite pop star of the 80s. Is that what I was just informed of? I didn't know you did not like Michael Jackson. Yeah, when so when I, so you know we're we're doing this virtually. We're not sitting in the you know the same room or whatever. And, and it, I know it it sounds great, which we're really happy about. But yeah, so I I just you know plugged into this and and Brian was listening to Michael Jackson, and I just thought it was a you know he's dancing around. This, but this I had happened. No idea. Oh yeah. And, and um, yeah, right. it, it's it's hard to not smile when you hear some of these tunes. I mean, for me at least, I don't know. So, but tell me, tell me why you're not a fan. Um. Oh, okay. So, is it partly just due to the personal history? Because that's a fair out. If you want to say I, I'm not a fan of his. That he's a total freaking monster and like I'm just totally fine that he died. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> I mean, I, I actually think you're going to like this episode because this is about a very specific rumor about him that is not the sort of rumor that you're used to hearing about Michael Jackson, right? Um, I, I'm ready though. I've, I've I've heard a few things. Yeah. Man, there's some really weird stuff. So so this this really could be the Michael Jackson versus a lot of things, and I'm sure there's some people who were like downloaded this episode. They're like, oh man. Are we going to get into all the stuff with kids? And, and no, no, we're not doing that. We're we're going earlier in the Michael Jackson lore, and, and to to get to where we're going, we're going to go somewhere totally different for a minute. We're going to go back to the 1800s. Are you ready? I thought we were going to Gary, Indiana, which was terrifying enough. <laughs> but take me back to the 19th century, Brian. I don't know if you've been to Gary. Dude, I remember the first time I drove through Gary and it was by myself. And everyone was like, when you go to Chicago, just don't stop in Gary. And every like everyone kept telling me that. And I was like, that sounds like something you would say in the 1800s, right? Like, that just doesn't seem like something in 2014 or whatever this was that is like a thing you actually have to worry about in broad daylight. It's like four o'clock in the afternoon. I'm going to Lollapalooza. I'm meeting buddies in Chicago and I'm driving up through Gary. And as soon as I hit the city limits, it was apparent. I was like, oh my God, this is the scary. This is so scary. Where, what is that? It was like, it was like a storm cloud moved in over top of Gary, Indiana. I mean, for me, my main exposure to Gary, Indiana was not Michael Jackson. My main exposure to Gary, Indiana was uh, the music man. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And and yeah, and I, I had the music man as a kid too, like because of community theater in, in our town, like waiting for Guffman, like just it, it is the typical unbelievable uh thing. I do have a Gary Indiana story, I'll make it real fast. Gary and it was terrifying. Indiana, Gary Indiana. Oh my god. Let me 
so so imagine my response when that is that is there was no kids singing the name of the city when I drove in on that fateful stormy day. Uh, so yeah. t- you, tell me your Gary story. My my story is a little uh, not very PG-ish or whatever. So uh, in between uh, some time in my life when I was not in uh, married um, and one of my closest friends, he was in Chicago and I was going to go visit him. And he doesn't tell me that I, while I'm going to go visit him that he's going to a bachelor party. Oh, my like, God. I was going to say, just, is this a house of ill repute in Gary, Indiana story? Is that what so, we're about to hear? So he doesn't tell me. I arrive in Chicago and he's like, oh, hey, by the way, man, you're crashing a bachelor party. Um, I'm like, like, this is not the things that I want to do. So, uh, so I get in a limousine, a bunch of other dudes I don't know except him. Uh, and it, the limousine's hot. We've been drinking. We're like at that whatever that uh, what's the place called? The, the bar call where they yell at you and tell you how awful you are. Dick's Last Ed, Resort. Ed DeBevick's. That's in Dick's Chicago. Last Re- oh, Dick's Last it's, Resort. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. I went. We went there and then drank too much and then got into a really hot limo and then we got over to Gary and like one of those really weird stories where it's like we did not feel like we're in the city limits and we drove up to a house <laughs> that didn't look like commercially, you know. You're, you're so just you're I, just at Rachel's. <laughs> I, I, I thought Rachel's was the name of the club. No, Rachel owns the house. <laughs> so I um, I walk in. I go with everybody else. I just go and have a seat. And then someone else just comes and sits on my lap and grabs my hands and goes, <laughs> you can touch me. And, and that was it, man. I like as soon as I could get up, I got up and I went out to the limo and stayed in that limo the because name, I didn't know what was happening. Coincidentally, the name of that person who sat on your lap also Gary Indiana. <laughs> Her name was Gary. So, so take me back to the 19th century because uh, I'm ready. So, so what do you know about the Elephant Man? I um I, I know a little bit about this story and have, how this is connected to him. Have you seen the David uh, Lynch movie? Let's go there. I I have seen the David Lynch movie, but I've never seen it sober. That's probably fine. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so it, it, for people who do, do not know this story, which I had heard of the Elephant Man, but I didn't really know much about it. Basically, a, a guy who was very deformed in the 1800s at a time when people didn't really know what to do with that. And the only way to make a living was to basically become a literal sideshow. Right. Yeah, carnival. Yeah. And and so there is a story that is mostly true about a doctor who discovers a guy in the late 1800s who's in his early 20s, who is grossly deformed and basically being put in a storefront window for people to come and gape at. And that's the only way he's able to make money. And he takes him under his wing and takes care of him. And he he gets to meet, he like meets some famous actresses and like the queen and like some, just because of this relationship he has with this doctor and he becomes a an oddity and a, it's just all, it's, it's, it becomes a thing of lore. Speaking yeah. of rock and roll bedtime stories, right? And so this on its own becomes a thing of lore, but it is true and it is real. And then in the seventies, there were some, 
uh, adaptations of this story into stage play and into a David Lynch movie. Now, one of the most famous, uh, actually, a lot of famous people have played the Elephant Man, um, including, I mean, to, to keep it in the rock and roll sphere, this is actually a clip of David Bowie as the Elephant Man. Uh, and, and they showed this on ABC TV in 1981. Listen to this. Yeah. You are happy here, are you not, John? Yes, sir. The baths have rid you of your odor, have they not? First chance I've had to pay regularly. <laughs> I mean, so here's the other weird thing. If, if you look at this, and you can look up clips, and we'll put clips in the show notes. When they did the stage play, they did no makeup or prosthetics. So it was all about a person just holding themselves in a strange way, which is weird because the the main interesting thing about the elephant man when talking about the, de- the, the deformity, I mean, for lack of a better term, is that his head was really big. Yes, that's right. Yep. Because that, that's eventually, spoiler alert, how he dies. He basically tries to sleep on his back and asphyxiates because he's not able to lift his head up. And that was a thing he was told, and he just wanted to feel quote-unquote normal or like everyone else, so he lays on his back. He ends up dying in his sleep at the age of like 26. So it's just become this story that's out there. There's been tons of plays. Let me tell you a few of the people who have played the Elephant Man because this is insane to me. Uh, so, in David Lynch's film, do you remember who who's in that? <laughs> like I said, man, I, and I, I wasn't sober, and I don't know. I mean, it was... So, John Hurt plays Merrick. Oh, yeah, that's right. But Anthony yeah. Hopkins is in mm-hmm. that movie, and so is Anne Bancroft. <laughs> um, and in, in, in that movie, John Hurt's in full makeup. Now, the play is on Broadway in 2002 with Billy Crudup. So think about oh, that for a second. I didn't know about that. And then I've, I like space that out. Here's the super weird one. In 2015, so just five, six years ago, there was a version of this on Broadway with Bradley Cooper playing the elephant man. What? That just seems unfair to the elephant man. Like, what? No, that doesn't make any sense. Like, I watched, I think I watched The Star is Born like four times thinking like, you know, <laughs> this is kind of hot. I know it's fake and people think it's real. Julie, who lives a couple doors down, she's lovely, schizophrenic, thinks that whole thing is real. Um, and man, I wish it was because they're great looking together. He can't, the elephant, that, that's can't, terrible. Can't cast. be played by Bradley Cooper. That no. just, that just seems, it's like such an insult. You know who should be, you know who should be the elephant man and Gilbert Steve Buscemi. Godfrey. Gilbert <laughs> My head is so big. I'm deformed. Hand over the singles. I think he'd be great. Wow. Okay. So, let's let's bring Michael Jackson into this equation, right? What do you know when I say Michael Jackson and the Elephant Man? What is the rumor that you've heard? I heard that he bought the remains of the Elephant Man. Okay. Right? Right. So th- this this is the rumor. Now, there's a lot to this, and it's still pretty unclear just to jump to the end whether or not. He definitely didn't buy the bones to the Elephant Man. Did he make an offer and try to? That's a little more debatable. Oh, okay. So, yeah. 
here, here's here's the thought, and and I have to give some shout outs to Carrie Hennigan, who runs a Michael Jackson fan site. <laughs> she has written an amazing piece on this, uh, and we will put it in the show notes. So she is, is has guided a lot of this uh, storytelling. But this is this is what she knows. Merrick's story resonated deeply with Michael Jackson, who reportedly saw parallels between his own life and that of Merrick. So the story goes that he watched the David Lynch film, and it's in black and white, it came out in 1980, 35 times. He watched it 35 times. (laughs) I have so many jokes. Keep going. On May 30th, 1987, so this is seven years after the movie came out, the LA Times published the following item. Michael Jackson has submitted an official bid for an undisclosed sum for the remains of the late John Merrick, known as the Elephant Man, okay. from the London Hospital Medical College, which has kept them since Merrick's death in 1890, so almost 100 wow. years. So medical college has always had these remains. He didn't have a real burial? Yeah, and I guess it's because of the value to science, quote-unquote, right? That they thought that there might be some sort of... Um, value to it in keeping them, but it, so what about he, what about someone like desecrating the grave and digging it up, right? That seems reasonable, right? So you're saying they kept him because they were worried about that? Yeah, that totally makes sense. That that totally makes sense as well. Um, so here is where things get foggy. So this is in the LA Times that he's made this bid, but in this story there is this character. Um, named Frank DeLeo. Do you know who Frank DeLeo is? No, the name's familiar, but I don't know who that is. So Frank DeLeo was an American music executive and actor known for his portrayal of Teddy Cicero in Goodfellas. Oh, wait. So he was in Goodfellas? He was in Goodfellas. Um, For five years in the 80s, before Goodfellas, he was Michael Jackson's manager. No, no, no. What? Oh, my gosh. I I had to Google it immediately because Goodfellas is, you know, I I love that movie. Um, Wow. He promoted albums by the Hollies, Donovan, Sly and the Family Stone. He was a headhunter for RCA Records. This is crazy. Um, Wow. He oversaw a staff of 65 people. He guided Epic Records from a small $65 million company to $250 million and signed to Epic, Quiet Riot, Ario Speedwagon, Ozzy Osbourne, Gloria Stefan, Luther Vandross, Meatloaf, Cindy Lauper, Culture Club, and then this guy we're talking about, Elephant Man Bones, Michael Jackson. <laughs> totally weird. Okay. So, after Thriller, Michael Jackson asks DeLeo to take over as his manager. So, he is then the executive producer for the full-length movie Moonwalker. He wrote and executive produced three Pepsi commercials, including negotiating the landmark endorsement deal, and eight music videos, including the Grammy-winning video Leave Me Alone. And he managed Jackson's Bad World Tour. Now, here's a fun side note. He managed... Jackson's Bad World Tour. Do you know who a who was a backup singer on Michael Jackson's Bad World Tour? Cheryl Crow. Cheryl Crow, who later wrote yeah. a song called the Na Na Song with this line in it: "Clarence yeah. Thomas, organ grinder, Frank DeLeo's dong. Maybe if I let him, I'd have a hit song." Yeah. Holy cow! 
Right. And then he also managed Taylor Dane, Laura Branigan. There's funny. Oh, wait. Richie Sambora. <laughs> and worked with Prince. This is crazy. Oh, my gosh. So, okay. And and he appeared in six major motion pictures, including Goodfellas and both Wayne's World films. <laughs> both Wayne's World films. I can't stand it. I'm reading everything about him, and it's so much fun. Okay. So just to point out, just I think think you can gather just from his background that this guy was – a little bit of a of a firebrand like he was looking to get things done and if you if you see a picture of him like he i mean he was in goodfellas that's really all you need to know right you can imagine what he looks like because you've seen him in goodfellas and he was known for manipulating circumstances to benefit his clients if needed but really him right so This is what the rest of this says inside the L.A. Times. Okay. According to Jackson's manager, Frank DeLeo of Los Angeles, Jackson has a, quote, high degree of respect for the memory of Merrick. He has read and studied all material about the Elephant Man and has visited the hospital in London twice to view the remains. His fascination with their historical significance increased with each each visit, along with hopes to add them to his collection of rare and unusual memorabilia at his California compound. Jackson, DeLeo added, has no exploitive intentions whatsoever and cares about and is concerned with the Elephant Man as a dedicated and devoted collector of art and antiques. Right. So, it's often been said that Frank DeLeo was the source of more outlandish tabloid myths about Michael Jackson. So, this is the theory. That DeLeo, to, to get press, because he knew how to do that, apparently. You've heard his bio that we just ran through. He would sometimes leak to the press stories about Jackson. The Elephant Man's Bones is one of them. The other one is the sleeping in a hyperbaric chamber thing. Like, okay. Because that's yeah. another thing you remember hearing about Michael Jackson, right? You saw photographs of it on the cover of the National Enquirer, yeah. Mm-hmm. It has also been said that some of these headline-grabbing myths originated from Michael himself, or at least approved by him, under this belief that DeLeo was selling him that, quote, any publicity is good publicity. You want to hear some any publicity is good publicity with DeLeo? Yeah, I, 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 I can't stand it. I'm so fascinated by this DeLeo guy. I can't even stand it. In 1991 in Youngstown, Ohio, mob boss Joseph Little Joey Naples was killed outside his home. He was driving DeLeo's Ford Mustang convertible. What? <laughs> he was he like, being, his, being, in good fellas, being in Goodfellas was not enough. <laughs> I need to live Goodfellas. Oh my God. So, yeah, that's what it is. In her book, My Family, the Jacksons, Michael Jackson's mom, Catherine, wrote that, quote, to be fair, a couple of the stories had been spread by Michael's own people. I'm referring to the silly reports that he slept in a hyperbaric chamber and then he made a serious offer to buy the elephant man's bones. She says in this book, I didn't talk to Michael about these rumors, so I don't know what role, if any, he had in putting the stories out, but I did watch dismay as his manager, Frank DeLeo, played up the stories to the press. As for the elephant man's bones, I have no idea whether DeLeo made any attempt on Michael's behalf to buy them. If he did so, he did so in jest. And if by some miracle, the London Medical Center that owns the bones agreed to sell them, Michael knows me well enough to know that I would not have let him in the house with those things. <laughs> I like how she just turns into a total old mom at the end. Mom. Yeah. Yeah, and I agree with mom. That's a little weird. It's a little strange. <laughs> now, here's here's other references to this throughout the 80s and through pop culture. Michael's supposed bid to purchase the skeleton was discussed on Canadian radio in 87 with David Edwards. 
the chief administrator at the London Hospital Medical College. Now, Edwards talks about Michael's visit to the museum where the skeleton is still housed and refers to Michael making two bids for the remains. So this is the guy from the London Hospital Medical College. So there's, you know, it, it appears that the bid was actually made. Now, what Catherine says, what his mom says is that DeLeo was doing it as a joke to get press. But he says there were two bids, one for $500,000 and then one up to a million dollars, and both were rejected. And as he said on this radio program, the Elephant Man simply not for sale. We're not we're not going to yeah. sell them. We don't need a million dollars. And if you think about the historical significance of the Elephant Man, it seems like it would take a lot more than a million, even in 1987. Yeah. Now, yeah. Michael had spoken about his interest in Joseph Merrick, who he calls John, as per the movie. There's a whole thing about the fact that when they first, in the in the reality of the story, when the doctor meets him, he, in the record, writes John accidentally. And so there's always been a little bit of confusion between Joseph and John and which, which he is. But Michael had spoken about his interest with... Uh, and his empathy for Joseph Merrick to Ebony Jet in 1987, prior to the start of this world tour that our boy DeLeo, your boy DeLeo was managing. The interviewer asked if he would be interested in playing the role of Merrick, and in replying, Michael references John Hurt's performance in the David Lynch movie, right? And the movie was preceded by that Tony Award-winning stage play, which had David Bowie. You know who else did it, was in a version of that play? We we've oh, talked about the the random folks who have yeah. So here's what I forgot: Mark Hamill. <laughs> oh yeah, you know I just had that back there, and it's just been filed away for a long time. Because you know it's like after after the three movies were over, like he was he's done, and really only has he you know the last you know handful of years he's kind of like kind of come back, bubbled up in the consciousness, like trolling the president. And uh, you know, being in the Mandalorian. Well, how about well, uh, how about uh, Jay and Silent Bob? Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Sorry, I, <laughs> I'm just, <laughs> really after Clerks. Like all the rest of it was like, eh, it's okay. Uh, Clerks two, I like that. Rosario <sighs> Dawson. Well, yeah. So and speaking the, of the Mandalorian, and the, and the Donkey Show. But keep going. Speaking of your time in Gary, Indiana, so. Um, <laughs> In, this this all happened in 1987. Now, when we fast forward to 1993, Oprah has Michael Jackson on. Just and I want everyone to remember how freaking huge Michael Jackson was. This is something that like our kids are never going to understand because I don't think there's. I mean, Taylor Swift is really big, and you have pockets of celebrity where you get. But Michael Jackson was just. I remember in 1991 and I've actually written a piece about this maybe I'll unearth it for the site about um, my buddy Cooper who you know giving me or having a copy of Dangerous so I was 9 in 92 and so I wasn't there for the first round of the bad and the um, you know his early stuff and Thriller but when he kind of spikes up again in 92 I was totally ready for that and the black and the black and white video with Macaulay Culkin and the debut of that they debuted that on television yeah. like during the Super Bowl or something do you remember that it was crazy yeah. remember his Super Bowl performance where he like showed up in one part of the stadium and the other part like they, they really never honestly I don't think the Super Bowl really ever peaked after that until we got to see Janet Jackson <laughs> Um, <laughs> took 10 years until we had until we got to see his sister yeah I mean it's the Jackson family really locked down the Super Bowl I mean and then we got Prince and the uh, Prince playing a Foo Fighters song but um, 
Okay, so in 1993, Oprah has Michael Jackson on his show and and asks him straight up because this is the hard hitting journalism that she does. Um, and his response is, "Why would I want to buy some bones?" So <laughs> by 1993, he's basically denying it. Yeah, sure. Um, but here's here's the weird thing: the song that I played earlier, that was uh, a song called "Leave Me Alone." Not one of the giant songs that you probably associate with him off the top of your head, but yeah, but super familiar with that one. It, it, it is a song they made a short film around. And yeah. do you remember the video inside that? I don't, but I remember watching like something about the making of the video uh, and everything. And and really, at the time, this is before people had really kind of outwardly started talking about him being a monster. And he, you know, he was like, abs- like he's like Elvis, but times eight. And you know, there was no privacy for that guy. Um, and so every single thing that he did was under a microscope and when he would go take a whole bunch of kids to toys r us and buy you know toys like people thought it was all weird like everything he did was scrutinized um so tell me about the movie the short movie because i don't remember that at all so he dances with the elephant man's bones <laughs> there's an there's an animated skeleton of joseph merrick and they do a dance behind some bars like in a like they're in a cage super strange man and and remember our boy frank delia was involved in all of this so what what i'm really saying is michael jackson was in the mob <laughs> that's that's really where we're going with this <laughs> yeah and i i think that you know i've i've heard that the voice was put on for people uh and he didn't really talk like that um you know i i heard that so you have to wonder like what people's persona really is, you know, what, what the thing is they throw out for everybody else and what they really are like in, in real life. Well, I'm, I'm going to take a little bit from this Carrie Harrigan article, which again, we'll, we'll, we'll put in the notes, Carrie Harrigan, you're, you're a peach. Thank you for, for this. I mean, she really did some good stuff here, but this is kind of where she puts this story. She says, Merrick's story is ultimately one of tragedy, the kind that happens to people who appear to have done nothing to deserve that which life has visited on them, and in dealing with their adversities, expose some sort of insidious ills of the so-called, quote-unquote, civilized society, right? Now, Michael said in this interview with Ebony Jed in 87, man's inhumanity to man, that's what war is all about, right? So there's like some parallels there. Now, Michael Jackson's life was a triumph over his strict upbringing and demands of working childhood and his own indefatigable work ethic and relentless perfectionism, right? Yet he too wanted to be able to take his rest like an ordinary guy to lay down his head at the end of the day of rehearsal, get a good night's sleep. So viewed from this perspective, this desire for normalcy in lives that were nothing but they were nothing like normal, caused the deaths of both Merrick and Jackson. Merrick accidentally laying down his heavy head, and Michael metaphorically laying down his heavy head with his insistence on a drug mm. to do that, right? So, yeah. I- interesting insight and an interesting story. Um, I, it, like, I, it probably doesn't make you like Michael Jackson more, Mark, but... Uh, <laughs> nah, man, my, the jury was out like a while ago. I'm cool. <laughs> I'm pretty much, I'm done with that. 
<laughs> wow. Uh, if, if you have a, a comment about this story, if you have anything to add, if you have a story you want us to research, uh, you can just hit us up. Like we said at the top of the show, we are the story guys at gmail.com. Check out the website, we are the story guys.com. And. Until keep telling time. freaky stories. Keep telling freaky stories. Keep dancing with the elephant man's bones in Gary, Indiana. Rock and Roll Bedtime Stories is a Story Guys production. The show is produced and edited by Brian Eichenberger. Get more stories, hear more podcasts, and book the guys for your conference or house party at wearethestoryguys.com. All rights reserved. <laughs>